You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Scripture reading this afternoon is taken from two passages in the Old Testament. We first read from the book of Proverbs, the seventh chapter. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsman. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down the street near a corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's loud and defiant, her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you where I looked for you and I found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes and cinnamon. Come. Let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband isn't at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. Our second reading is taken from the Song of Songs, chapter 7. We begin reading halfway through verse 9. May the wine go straight to my lover, flowing gently over lips and teeth. I belong to my lover, and his desire is for me. Come, my lover, Let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened, and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance, and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. If only you were to me like a brother who was nursed at my mother's breasts, then... If I found you outside, I would kiss you and no one would despise me. 
I would lead you and bring you to my mother's house, she who taught me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the nectar of my pomegranates. His left arm is under my head, and his right arm embraces me. Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. Who is this coming up from the desert, leaning on her lover? Under the apple tree I roused you there, your mother conceived you there, she who was in labor gave you birth. Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm. For love is as strong as death, it's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love, rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. We have a young sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister for the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. I am a wall, and my breasts are like towers. Thus I have become in his eyes like one bringing contentment. The text for this afternoon's sermon is taken from the New Testament, the letter written to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Brothers and sisters in Christ, If there's one topic that will always grab the attention of people, it's the matter of relationships between men and women. God created men and women differently and created in both a natural desire for the other. And thus it commonly happens that a man and a woman join forces and go through life as a single unit. Well, that's the way God intended it to be. But that's not always the way of it in our world. Marriages that are forever tend to be considered old hats. Divorces regularly happen, and living common law is the in thing. One man and one woman, that's considered old-fashioned too. Man and woman, today there's also man and man, and woman and woman. One, why not more than one? And one of the purposes of marriage, to continue the human race, it's hardly a priority. Our world speaks of having children, not of receiving children. In our fallen world, lust as the expression of self-centeredness has replaced love as the expression of other-centeredness. Lust 
has replaced love. And loyalty in health and sickness, in our economized world, sickness may mean drop your spouse and look for another. Now, God's word has a lot to say about marriage, not just marriage in general, also the very physical side to the marriage relationship and the desires that God has created in us. The Bible book, Song of Songs and Proverbs have a lot to say on this score. And much of the beauty and wisdom found there is found in a very succinct manner in our text. Hebrews 13, verse 4. The author of Hebrews felt it necessary to give a clear command on the issue of marriage. For the world 2,000 years ago was not very different from our world today. And so we listen this afternoon to God's instruction with this theme. God commands us to honor marital love and loyalty. We'll consider marital love and loyalty, first of all, within wedlock and then beyond wedlock. Sermons on marriage run the risk of being considered to apply only to a portion of the congregation the married, and those who are looking to be in a relationship. Younger children don't get it. And older singles, the widowed, the divorced, the never married, they may feel like observers. But that's not right. Let me mention three reasons why this sermon is directly applicable to all. First, marriage is a possibility for most. Not only for single young people, also for widowers and widows, for the divorced, for bachelors and spinsters. And maybe reflectional marriage is easier for those who are not married than it is for those who are. A bit like reflecting on your driving skills. That's easier done in a recliner at home than behind the wheel on Fraser Highway or Highway 1. Secondly, we all have a calling to paraclete one another. That's to comfort, encourage, and admonish each other. When a man and a woman take vows regarding love and loyalty, they do so before God and witnesses. Witnesses. God gives us to each other as brothers and sisters to assist each other. Also in regards to marital issues. And third, we might not all be married. We are all men and women with desires to a greater or lesser degree. And the adultery and sexual immorality referred to in our text isn't just limited to married people. Also, singles must keep the marriage bed pure. And so, don't tune this sermon out. God had Hebrews 13 verse 4 included in his word, and that in itself tells us we have here a word from God that we all need to be aware of. 
I'd like to make two other comments yet. First, for some, this topic brings bad memories to mind. Pain. Precisely because marriage was not honored. Being sensitive to this means that some things are best not said in a sermon that's very public, but via other means. One such other means, that's my second comment, is instruction class. I myself teach on the matter of marriage during catechism. Not only when we deal with Lord's Day 41, that's the seventh commandment, but also during the senior year. That's a six-week course on various aspects to relationships. I teach it to 16 to 18-year-olds precisely because that's when they're beginning to get into relationships. And then there's pre-marriage counseling. In the Abbotsford Canadian Reformed Church, that's five group sessions and one private session per couple. And we should also remember the parents who guide their sons and daughters, especially when they are younger, in this regard. Parents, you promised at baptism to instruct your children in the teachings of Scripture. Hebrews 13 verse 4 is one of those teachings. So remember to make work of that. Now, given all those teaching moments, it isn't necessary to cover everything in a sermon. Our young people do receive the biblical instruction they require. Of course, that doesn't mean yet that they also put it into practice. So it's a sermon for all, and and it may not say everything that could be said or the things you figure should have been said, but it will seek to display the sound doctrine that forms the basis for living Christian lives for honoring marriage and keeping the marriage bed pure. Marriage. The two pillars of marriage are love and loyalty. God is love. And God reveals himself as Yahweh, the ever-loyal God of the covenant. God exists in three persons, and those three persons relate to each other in perfect love and loyalty. Further, as a unity, they relate in perfect love and loyalty to all that is not God. Creation, that includes us people. Now humans were created to be the image of God. To be God's likeness. And it's noteworthy that God, when saying this, speaks of himself in the plural. Let us make man. And the creation of man closes with the institution of marriage. So marriage is the institution where the likeness, the image of God is to be seen. As God is love and loyalty, so the pillars of marriage are love and loyalty. Let's first consider those two pillars separately. Love. Love is about caring for the other. 
about affection for the other. And in view of our text, our focus will be on the more physical side to love, the body side to love. For our text speaks of a pure marriage bed. It makes reference to adultery and sexual immorality. So what does God reveal to us in Scripture about such love? In Proverbs 30, we read, There are three things that are too amazing for me, four that I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. The way of a man with a maiden. That's the punchline. Who can fathom the physical chemistry between a man and a woman? Love is a mystery. In Ephesians 5, where Paul speaks of marriage, comparing it to the relationship between Christ and the church, that point is made as well. Paul quotes the comment found in Genesis 2, verse 24, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then Paul adds, This is a profound mystery. Now he says that especially in regards to the mystical union of Christ and the church, however, some of that mystery is present in how a husband and a wife relate to each other as well. Love is a mystery. You can describe it, but truly understand it? No. And it's the Song of Songs which gives us a wonderful description of this love. Their physical attraction is described as going to each other's vineyards, picking its fruits. Song of Songs 7 tells us of the first night after the wedding. Let us go early to the vineyards to see if the vines have budded, if their blossoms have opened and if the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes send out their fragrance and at our door is every delicacy, both new and old, that I have stored up for you, my lover. Physical love is not downplayed in Scripture. Christians don't need to look down on lovemaking, on sex as such. It's a wonderful element of God's creation, and God would have us enjoy this gift. Proverbs 5 says it thus, May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. The English Standard Version translates those last two lines more graphically. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. To be intoxicated is to be full of something, totally under the influence. The marriage bed is the place where, figuratively speaking, drunkenness is fine. It's fine to be intoxicated with the love of your spouse. Love, the first pillar of marriage. Now, in view of our text, we focused on the more physical side to love. 
Within the bounds of marriage, a man and a woman may give themselves entirely to each other. Love is a profound mystery. And to express her, God has given us sexuality. Beloved, if you're married, let the love of your spouse lead you away. The second pillar of marriage is loyalty. Our text speaks of this aspect when we read, Marriage should be held in honor by all. Marriage is the covenant which is sealed with a promise, a vow of loyalty. Again, we go to the first two people, Adam and Eve. Scripture speaks of man and woman becoming one flesh. They form a single unit. It's like sticking two pieces of paper together with glue. It then becomes more like a single piece of card. Becoming one flesh is a pictorial expression. Its meaning is not limited to the act of sexuality, but it does take its starting point there. In fact, in ancient times, a marriage was sealed, was consummated with lovemaking. Sharing the marriage bed was what made you a married man, a married woman. And thus, lovemaking is an expression of loyalty. So how does scripture speak of this? The Song of Songs says, I belong to my lover and his desire is for me. There's a very tight bond between groom and bride. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Spirit points out the following to us. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other. End of quote. The bond that ties spouses in this intimate way to each other is the pledge of loyalty. Marriage binds people to each other in an inseparable way. Loyalty. The second pillar of marriage. It's the glue that keeps husband and wife together that makes two people one flesh. Love and loyalty, the two pillars of marriage, it wouldn't be right to consider them two separate pillars Love and loyalty need each other. Sexual intimacy only has deep significance within the framework of pledged loyalty. It's downright foolish, dumb, stupid to be intoxicated with the love of someone who has not pledged loyalty. I think of what we read in Proverbs 7. And and what does loyalty mean if it isn't expressed with love? Promising loyalty and yet withholding yourself? That doesn't make sense. The ultimate expression of love cannot be without the deepest pledge of loyalty. 
the ultimate expression of love cannot be without the deepest pledge of loyalty. That's how God created it. And realize, especially the younger people among us, such love and loyalty isn't at its peak on the wedding day. In a healthy marriage, love and loyalty continue to grow. Just as you grow in love and loyalty toward God, also after you've made profession of faith. God wants to see a ring of love, of loyalty, around intimate love. God wants to see a ring of loyalty around intimate love. And scripture speaks graphically of the power of such love and loyalty. Again, it's Song of Songs. Love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like the very flame of the Lord. Many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, he would be utterly scorned. Love is like the very flame of the Lord. God brought Adam, brought Eve to Adam. And so our Lord and Savior spoke of what God has joined together. The love and loyalty of marriage are God's gift. Marriage is an institution of God. Marital love and loyalty are beyond valuing. True love is not for sale. Realize that. True love is not for sale. The person who tries to buy love is scorned. Hebrews 13 verse 4 makes that point as well. The word for honor has the color of value. One might translate, marriage should be valued highly by all. And as such, marital love and loyalty is strong. It's like the wildfires that burn in the forests of our continent during the summer. It's a fire so intense that no flood of water can extinguish her flames. Love and loyalty are the pillars of marriage. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Beloved, if there is tension in your marriage or the marriage of someone dear to you, Reflect on that marriage from the perspectives of love and loyalty. How is the love for each other? How is the loyalty toward each other? There's a tendency among people to compensate lack of one thing with more of the other. Lack of physical love, well that's compensated with some extra expressions of loyalty, like giving someone presents. And lack of loyalty, that's compensated with more lovemaking. But love and loyalty are one. It's loving loyalty and loyal love. The pillars cannot be separated. Both are needed in fullness. The commentary on 1 Corinthians 7 points to the key of verse 4 there. You don't just belong to yourself, you belong as much to your spouse. Marriage is about service. It's about other-centeredness. Just as Christ gave himself for the church, and the church gives herself to Christ, so husband and wife will give themselves for each other. In wedlock, 
Strive for perfection in both love and loyalty. That brings us to our second consideration, marital love and loyalty beyond wedlock. Love and loyalty need each other, but it's helpful to consider them separately. And we begin again with love, physical love. Our society is enslaved, addicted to love, to lust, to sex. Inner desires drive people to do the most foolish and bizarre things. And what the word smurf is to the smurfs, the F word is to a lot of people today. Through our plunge into sin, much is derailed. We're supposed to control our desires, but often our desires control us. And when people feel that their desires are not met within marriage, or they're not married, and thus cannot have such desires fulfilled, they turn to unlawful ways of lovemaking unlawful ways. They are not ways ordained by God. They are ways condemned by Him. Our text warns us in no uncertain terms, God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And that warning covers all sexual activity beyond wedlock. That of the married looking to a third person, that of the unmarried with each other, or with someone who's married. God will condemn such activity. For lovemaking belongs strictly within the framework of pledged loyalty. Now derailed lovemaking works differently for men and women. Men tend to experience sexual desire as a drive on its own. The desire becomes a lust. And it means that women, instead of being persons, become things. Things that exist to satisfy the lusts of men. That's why cars, for example, are draped with women. Men seek to own women, to have women. It's a reality recognized in Scripture. In Proverbs 7, we read of a youth who lacked judgment, was pulled away. In our terms today, drawn to a world of pornography, of nightclubs, or parties in our very own homes when the parents are gone. Hear it well. Especially you, young men. Listen up. For our elders are told that young men in our midst are not always treating the young ladies with the respect that they should receive. Don't be led by testosterone. Be led by your brains. Guys, females are persons, not things. This past summer I saw a Facebook page referring to males and females by their sexual body parts. It came from the account of someone in our own churches. 
And it went to lots of young people who are members in our church communities. To refer to people not as guys and gals, but by sexual body parts. That's degrading people to sex toys. People aren't just instruments for sex. So take that to heart, fellows. And and if you're dating, seriously ask yourself the following question. Am I dating because I want a girlfriend? Or because I love her and want her to have the best? Is your relationship self-centered or other-centered? In our fallen world, men tend to see women as things. And women? Women tend to see men as instruments, as a means to an end. Women long for recognition and influence. And so they play on the desires of men. They invite men in to use them, and so as to get ahead themselves. Song of Songs is very sober and very instructive about this reality for parents and siblings. Songs 8, we have a younger sister and her breasts are not yet grown. What shall we do for our sister for the day she is spoken for? If she is a wall, we will build towers of silver on her. If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. This is clearly about a girl who's approaching her teens. Now, if a girl uses her body to invite men in, if she is a door, protection is required. But if a girl stands her ground, if what is appealing about her warns men everything at the right time, then she's ready for a relationship. Though still, with protection. Girls, don't dress Provocatively. Don't use guys to get somewhere and then drop them once you've got what you wanted. And don't allow yourself to be a thing, a toy for guys. Songs 8 continues, the girl now speaks up herself. She says, I am a wall and my breasts are like towers. What are towers for in an ancient city? For protection. They're a defense mechanism. They warn, don't get any closer. It's interesting to note how in Song of Songs, the description of the female body begins with the head and stops at the breasts. What's below, what's behind the towers, that is for marriage. So young ladies, if you're dating, ask yourself the question, am I dating that boy because of what it will bring me? Or because I love him and want him to have the best. Is your relationship self-centered or other-centered? And let us all, parents, those who are dating, others, be mindful of this. When it comes to physical love, the refrain of the Song of Songs is this. Do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. True lovemaking has its time and place. That time is after a public pledge of loyalty, and that place is the marriage bed 
of our text. We turn from love to loyalty. Loyalty is a matter that concerns us all. For those who are married, that's obvious. But those who are not married have to keep it in mind too. The unmarried may become a stumbling block to the married. And a one-night stand between two unmarried people, that's not in keeping with God's will. Love cannot be without loyalty. It's just not safe. It isn't wise. It isn't good. Think of Proverbs 7. Loyalty is a must. And that's why God hates divorce. The prophet Malachi warned God's people. Has not the Lord made them one? In flesh and spirit they are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. End of quote. Brothers and sisters, God has no time for people who pledge loyalty and then break their promise. And young people realize that well before you marry. The preacher warns in Ecclesiastes 5, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better, hear it well, it is better not to make a vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. If you pledge loyalty, then be loyal in good days and bad. In riches and poverty, in health and sickness, even if the sickness is chronic or may end with death. And those who are not married, precisely because you have not pledged loyalty, it is foolish to practice love. Again, I think of Proverbs 7. Don't be fooled. Love has its own time and place. Love and loyalty, the two need each other. God judges the adulterer, that's the person who acts unfaithfully rather than loyally. And God judges the sexually immoral, that's the person who acts lustfully rather than lovingly. One other scripture passage yet, I suggest we read it together. 1 Thessalonians 4. First Thessalonians 4, the verses 3 through 8. I think it's a passage that at this stage speaks for itself. 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning at verse 3. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, 
that each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong his brother or take advantage of him. The Lord will punish men for all such sins, as we have already told you and warned you. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. God commands us to honor marital love and loyalty. That's true for everyone. By all, we read in our text, the married, the single, those who have been married, those who long to be married, those who are fine with not being married, those who are not married yet. Marriage should be honored by all. Is it? In our broken world, no. I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon how some people may tune out. There are those who hurt because of marriage that are derailed, that have derailed, or that are derailing. Situations where love was lust, where loyalty was absent. And a sermon like this is then extra painful. Well, we've just looked at marriage according to the norm of God. God is perfect. His command is perfect. Marriage is the most beautiful thing. It was the finishing touch in God's creation. And then when we look into the mirror that is God's law, then we see how ugly we are. Even among God's people, the taint of sin and the cursed groaning of creation is felt. But we know the sacrifice of Christ was also for sins against the seventh commandment. We should never despair of God's mercy. There is forgiveness with God. God covenants with us in an eternal way. Nor should we continue in sin. For we belong to God always, every moment of every day. We must break with sin and indeed honor marriage, keep the marriage bed pure. It's not without reason that marriage vows are made before the Lord and human witnesses. And prior to the prayer, the officiant will say, since we cannot expect anything from ourselves, you, that's the bride and groom, shall kneel before the Lord and we shall pray with you and for you that he may enable you to fulfill your vows and grant you his blessing. So beloved, have an ear for the hurts in the world. And do your utmost to prevent it. And that begins with yourself. Guys, girls are not things. And girls, guys are not instruments. For us all, prayer remains of utmost importance. 
May the Spirit of God keep us standing in a world so full of temptations, in the battles we fight with our very own flesh. Indeed, may the grace of Christ cover us and the Spirit renew us, whether we're married or not, to be true to God. And may our houses be filled with joy and peace, with love and loyalty. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.